Welcome to DM to GM. We're your DMs and GMs. I'm Russ Moore. I'm Sean Howard. And we're here to answer your questions and hopefully make you more comfortable playing the games. That is our goal. And we have three questions that we've been putting out there that we want people to answer. The first one is, what game genre would you like to run? That Whether it's new or whatever. Uh, I think we have here Cats in Space, which now I want to play. Steampunk, etc. The second question is, what system are you familiar with? And or which system would you want to use? So whether you are completely comfortable with, say, D&D, or there's one that you've had your eye on, or you just have no, no idea how to play any of them, and you just know that one of these ones exists and you want to know how to play it. And then the final question, which I think is sort of often the crux of it, you know, what hurdles, what's stopping you from running a game? Um, you know, I know a lot of us, I don't know about you, Russ, but I think it's a pretty common situation that we start game mastering or dungeon mastering, not because we like decided to, but because there's no games to join. There's no table to join. So we end up saying, well, screw it. I'm going to start my own game. That's exactly how, how my, my game table started. So that, you know, we talked about it, said, oh, that'd be a cool idea. And then because I was the only one with any experience, I said, yeah, I volu- volunteer. I have volunteers tribute. You were voluntold. Yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. And so I've seen that in a bunch of the people that have already responded with questions. So first of all, a giant shout of thanks to everyone that's sending questions. But we're seeing the same thing. We're seeing people say, you know, got a group of friends. We want to start playing. Um, but a little uh, different hurdles for different people. All right, so our first question comes from Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. And Kathy basically said, help me bring the steampunk. She she actually didn't say that. I paraphrased. Uh, it, it, the feeling was there, though. <laughs> so question number one is, what genre of game would you like to play? And Kathy says, steampunk sounds amazing, but I have no clue about steampunk. And I think this more came from the examples that we gave when we asked the questions. And it it might have just spurred in that moment, or maybe she was d- dwelling on it before. Um, but steampunk is super. F- I haven't personally run a steampunk, but, you know, I I love the idea of steampunk, which is um, science fiction, but based in a historical setting. Yeah. And, and for me, I don't even. Wow. I, you did more research than me on that one. I. For me, it's it's steam machines and flying ships and people with monocles and weird contraptions because, you know, I see them at the cons, right? They're, they're some of the coolest outfits or the steampunk outfits, right? Like mechanical gizmos on their head, but then they're dressed in Victorian clothing. I, I assume that's sort of like steampunk. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Generally, gen- very broadly and generally speaking, they're largely based in Victorian or like Old West. If you think the Will Smith Wild Wild West movie, that's a terrible movie, but that's steampunk. So to to be able to run a steampunk setting, pick a moment in history that you are comfortable with, familiar with, just really enjoy and don't mind doing a little research in, and then you can pepper in these these, you know, body modifications, uh, you know, firearms, space type atmosphere. Um, and then you can use, obviously, we'll get to how you can do that within game mechanics. But um, that's kind of the setting as to what it is. Yeah. And you know what? You don't have to know what steampunk is. Kathy, take whatever is awesome and interesting to you about steampunk and just do that. Like if you like Western, so Based Russ, you just said, right, pick a time period. Like, I pick 
Cowboys, I pick the West, I pick whatever. Whatever you pick, then just put in the elements that you think would be fun to play, right? I'm pretty sure that what I would develop would quickly not be pure steampunk, but if the table enjoys it and I enjoy it, that's great. Absolutely. Just pick that one element that you that has drawn you to it's probably how cool everybody looks with all like the steam powered things on their arms start there use that as your ground zero and then work your way out from that as you play it and as your characters get comfortable or your as your players get comfortable with it as you get comfortable with it you can add in things that may have always been there but you didn't experience until you decided to incorporate them And I think that's the biggest thing when you come to like a genre, you know, we quickly get into world building and that can seem daunting. You know, I remember when I first got started, I would make crazy maps and I would spend all this time writing histories. Um, And while some of that was fun, maybe, and, and a little of it ended up getting used, for the most part, it was I put a lot more time in that I really needed to. I don't know about you, Russ. Uh, yeah, new, new, uh, new DM to the table. You generally, um, you generally spend way more time than you know you, than you probably should, um, because it's a. I mean, and we, I think we get to this in question three, so maybe we should uh, pause that for now. But yeah, you always want to. You, you try to overplan, and then sometimes it ends up being not as fun as later on once you get a little more experience. Um, but we can come back to that maybe question three there. I think as uh, as Kathy's questions come up, so you can tell who's the DM from AD and D and who's the GM from the Apocalypse System. <laughs> Russ wants to follow the rules and do it in order. Well, we didn't ask the question yet, Sean. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Question number two. Uh, Powered by the apocalypse. Yes. Monster of the week seems like a very interesting system. And uh, Kathy was saying this could work with monster of the week. Totally could work with monster of the week. Totally could work with a powered by the apocalypse. Uh, I think the answer there is yes. And, uh, you know, the great thing is that the Monster of the Week book is all in one. You spend the $25 or you buy it used somewhere. So one of the greatest things about Evil Hat is if you can show them proof of purchase, they will give you the PDFs as well, which is really great. You, It's all in one book. I mean, one of the the daunting things, and it's a little bit better now in AD&D 5e, but, but in a lot of the other systems, certainly D&D in the old days, is you had to buy a lot of books, a lot of stuff, and it was a lot of things to ramp up on. Uh, Monster of the Week, you can run that game from one book um, and reliably well or the one PDF. So I think that's a big check mark. I think that's a great idea. And you can definitely put it in some kind of really cool or your own version of a steampunk world. Uh, yeah, you're you're obviously more versed in the Powered by the Apocalypse games, which is perfect. Um, if we were to touch on D&D, like it could definitely be done, but it would take more work. As you said, there are a lot more books, a lot more mechanics based things that you would need to alter and tweak in order to get the firearms and the space tech, which they have built into the player's handbook and the, and the, the DM's guide. Um, but just a little bit more to think about, whereas if I feel like um, Powered by the Apocalypse, which I've played Fake Core, which again, Evil Hat, very similar, more. Um, yep decision-based gameplay and you use the mechanics just to kind of help you along the way so you can kind of set it and then use them as you will as you go if i understand it correctly yeah no 100 one of the greatest things about powered by the apocalypse systems is that 
you as the game master are not responsible for all the mechanics. And I think that's something that I didn't really understand when I started because I'm pretty new to Powered by the Apocalypse, really. Right, I've only run one campaign through it. The really cool thing is that when you have specialized moves and player sheets, the players have those. You need to be familiar, but when a player um, goes to do something at the table and then they say, oh, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I wanna use my move, you basically just have them read it. Like they're responsible for understanding their player sheet and they might have questions, in which case you just work through it together. You don't have to have the answer. And I, it, it really struck me that for a new GM, it means that you don't have to constantly be flipping open the book and being like, oh, I'm the one that has to know how to do this saving throw or this whatever, right? Um, I can sort of just learn the five or six basic moves and then sort of rely on my players to help as they as they get new moves, which also happens slowly, to sort of help me manage through those situations. So question three from Kathy. Uh, and this is really the crux of it. And I think this is often going to be the case, right? It's going to be question three where we get to the meat. So a hurdle for me in every system, Kathy writes, is that I always want to run my own game in my own world. Yes, Kathy, that is awesome. Cheer. Um, and that is very prep intensive. Yeah, I, Russ and I are 100% on board. Now, wait a minute, Russ, I got to put you on the spot here. Now, yeah. you were running through, you weren't running a homebrew for the longest time. No, no. I'm. Are you I, running homebrew I'm, now? Yes and no. Ooh. Yes and no. It's a hybrid. So nice. um, Dungeon started on within a full module and she gets to kind of that, you know, published adventures may not have flexibility that get to her, you know, cater to her players. Um, so we started full adventure module with our first season of Dungeons and Dragons. Um Throughout that, we realized that, or at least I realized, I think the players, our players felt it too, um, that there were things that we came across that we really liked and we wanted to expand on. But if we wanted to expand on it, we'd be playing this module for 18 years. And if you've listened to that show, you know we don't do things fast anyways. So I believe you're at five years. Five years. Five years playing uh, two modules. Yeah, so... (laughs) Ha. Um, but so, so yes, published modules can give you a good launch point. Um, yeah. But moving beyond that, uh, we wanted to expand the world. So we're still within the Forgotten Realms world, um, but we're kind of picking and choosing what we like from it and tweaking it as we go to make it fit the new world, the post Rise of Tiamat worlds, because there's doom and destruction no matter what the outcome of that final adventure. Um, So how did that world change and what can we do to make that our own world after that? Right. And I think hybrid is, you know, well, her question, she goes on, you just reference it, but she's afraid that published adventures may not have the flexibility uh, that she wants to cater to her, to their players and that, um, uh, I'm not spontaneous creative enough to change a published adventure enough to make perfect for everyone. And and yeah, I I think hybrid is one of the harder things to do. Yeah. Right? Um, even more so if you're worried about messing something up because then you're just, a fr- you know, you, you get stuck. You're like, I don't know if I, what to do here. I got to go look something up. Yeah. But in this case, and I'm hoping someone else will come in and ask about hybrid because I want to dig into it and how you're doing it. Yeah. But in this case, I would say you're, if you're going to go with a Powered by the Apocalypse system and you're thinking of Monster of the Week, I don't think you really need to have a module here. If you want a module, that's fine. I'm sure you can find some. Down, there's tons. 
in this case, though, if you are really excited about building a steampunk world and you want to try this system, then I say just come up with the basics that you're going to need. And the cool thing is that now, again, I haven't run Monster of the Week, but I was just going through the book. And, you know, the book sets you up really easily on how to set up your campaign. Like, what do you need to do as the keeper, as they call it? And it's uh, it lays it all out. How do you create that first monster? What do you really need to know about the world? And I think it does it in like six or eight pages. It's And it's not that big of a book. So I think that's, that's something that, uh, in this case, I'd say just uh, just go through that exercise. And so I thought we would show what would happen if we went through that exercise. Oh, you're springing this one on me now, are you? Powered yes, by the sir. Apocalypse GM over there. Yeah. <laughs> So Russ and I, uh, we're not prepped for this. No, nope. we're gonna go through um, preparing for your first mystery. Okay, so basically, what we need to do, or uh, uh, well, I'll ask Russ, or as also as a listener, if you've listened to Taz Amnesty, you've listened to Monster of the Week. Mm-hmm. Basically, what we need to do is we need to build a mystery, and that mystery needs to be built around a hook. Like the hook is. What what gets the attention of your players? Right. Like, how do they learn about this mystery? Like, how does this surface for them? Um, we need to come up with the monster and then the minions, bystanders, and locations that are involved. And some of those can be threats. Some of those can be whatever. And then the mystery countdown is the only thing on this list I don't know if I understand. But we'll do it when we get to it. So, Russ. Yo. Um, here we go. Let's do it. Pick a monster. All right, Russ, we're in steampunk. Okay, what era of steampunk are we? You you said pick up time in history. Uh, let's I'm, maybe I'm go Wild history. West because I'm more familiar Wild with West. that than Victorian. Yep, good. Wild West. Okay. Wild West steampunk. What is a uh, classic monster that we can start with? Like they're, he's, they're recommending in the book, we just start with a monster. Like It's classic. We know it. Like. The, the thing from the lagoon or uh robot. Ooh, it could be like one of those robots, like in the old 60s movies. I like the you idea know, of like a um like a big anaconda or like a boa constrictor oh, type thing. Oh, a giant um, anaconda. Yes. Yeah. I feel like we're doing Sharknado in the West. Okay. <laughs> so a, a giant anaconda in the Wild West. Now, what is it about? Do we think this world? Oh, I know what it is. I want, like, I don't know why, steampunk to me is flying ships, so I want flying wagons. Oh, yeah, I love that. Steam-powered flying wagons. Okay, there's a giant anaconda. What's the hook? This is the mysterious event or clue that points to there being a supernatural problem to be investigated. You know, I'm trying to remember in Taz, I think it was, uh, the one I remember was when they went to the pool Mm-hmm. And that was the bubbling of the water and the kid was in the water and he was just building the tension. And you could see this thing moving across the water. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we think our hook is? So our adventurers are, I don't know who they are, or what they are. They'll figure that out. But it's the Wild West kind of environment. And are we on Earth? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Right. We're on Earth in some indeterminate time where we've got flying wagons, but no airplanes. And there's a giant anaconda. So, oh, oh, okay. So, all right, who goes missing? Coal miners. Coal miners. How many coal miners? Uh, uh, how many coal miners work in a coal mine? Lots. So maybe like 10 Lots. coal miners have gone missing from deep within. Yes, from deep within the earth. Now, 
there was also a uh, an earth they were they were drilling or exploding or whatever. And I, I know a lot about coal mining naturally. And there was a tremor, right? There was an earthquake. And ever since then, okay, that's our hook. So people in the town nearby are are some of them are quite sad, quite right, quite They're losing family. They, yeah, yeah. They don't know what's happening. They're afraid to send anybody up to the mines. But they need that coal mine to keep the economy flowing. Come on now. Yeah, like how are you going to get enough steam to fly enough uh, wagons? So the mayor, he says, you gots to get up there. Otherwise, we're just going to lose all our business and have to move on down the river. But they've tried that a few times. So now he's put out a call, this mayor, for some adventurers from the east to come and sort this out. That's my Southern accent. And by George, they're going to do it. <laughs> okay, so what are our threats? Uh, the monsters. Is there only one anaconda, giant anaconda? Maybe, maybe it's like kind of like an alien type thing where there's one main one, but as, as, they, are, as they get going, there's like all the little, you know, egg sacs. <gasps> Yes, I was just going to say like alien pots. Like yeah. they eat large animals and humans in order to then plant their eggs ah. and create sacks. Okay, so there's – so we initially think it might just be one, but really there could be small ones that we start to come across. Yeah, so there's the Cobra Queen, but as you get going, then you see these I, – I don't know if they could be small because then they could just be snakes. Maybe they're like – they're big, big, small. Okay, big, small. Big, small. Big small. Okay, so big small, and you, maybe they come across egg sacs early on and aren't sure what they are, and they're bubbling, and they think they see a body in it, and then they, you know, that's good. That's a, uh, okay. that's good. Yeah. Okay, minions. Who are the allies of the monster? They're usually weaker creatures. Uh, it says here. So who do we think the minions might be? Now, min- yeah. And then we need bystanders. So we already have one bystander, which was the mayor. Yeah. Oh, we have the whoever runs the 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 power plant. So the head of the power plant, he should be a jerk uh, of the coal mine. Yeah, he's afraid to go up there, but he won't admit it. Um, and then bystanders, you also have the family members and the other coal miners. Yeah, family members, and we. So what I would do generally is I would create a bunch of names. I wouldn't place them on mm-hmm. everyone, but I'd have some names ready that sound sort of like the style, right? So I just create a little list of names, and then I can pull from them. And then you don't end up with uh, a character that sounds like another character from a famous movie franchise or Flamikins. Okay. Hey, hey, are you are you poking fun? Are you poking fun at me? What was the mayor's name? Mayor's name is uh, Grimsby. Grimsby. Grimsby's good. Yeah, Grimsby. Right. And the head of the power plant is Jesse Vaughn Dreshauer. All right. Now, who are the minions that are, are, are who allied with the monsters? Now, it could be a creature. It could be a people. Do, do we want like a, like a church cult? Oh. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like an early environmentalist cult. But yeah, no, a church cult. Okay. We'll stay there. Like maybe, maybe they see the the rise of this anaconda as the <gasps> rise of uh, maybe some. They worship snakes. They worship snakes, and then suddenly the snakes talk to them and 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 promise them all these things if they become egg sacs. Yeah. Uh, and then locations. So we know we have the town of Bensworth. Bensworth, and then we might come up with a couple. Well, you know what? I'd say probably that's enough. So then we need to know the weakness. So we need to know the supernatural powers uh, and the weakness. 
because uh, one of the cool things about Monster of the Week and one of the cool things about Apocalypse that I love so much, Russ, mm-hmm. is I don't have to rely on a roll. If, you know, the classic example, if if someone goes running up to a red dragon with their sword and just starts jabbing at it, I don't even have to roll. They're not going to do anything against those scales. Yeah. So it's that kind of idea. So in Monster of the Week, if you're not calling out a weakness of the monster, you're basically not really going to do any damage or you're not going to hurt it badly, right? Like, so it's sort of set up that it's that mystery, right? You have to think about it and say, I'm going to use the weakness and then you can do damage. Right, right. So we need to know the weaknesses of these snakes because um, then we can hint at it, right? Um, okay, well, if they're in, snakes. if they're deep oh, in the cold. Can't take cold. Yeah, can't take cold. So obviously they need heat. So cold, obvious because, you know, cold, cold-blooded yeah. animals. Maybe they don't do well if they're separated from the queen. They lose power or they lose... Or maybe they're just kind of like a, a, a kobold or a goblin, you know, they're they're stronger in packs. Yeah. And is it like a hive mind where they all, you know, work together to be this super intelligent creature? But if you separate them. Yeah, that could be. Okay. I like that. So, so you have Some to kind of separate pack. maybe a specific distance or. Yeah. Now we're going supernatural. Maybe there is a specific beacon steam, steampunk. There's a beacon built into this snake. Yes. That can be dampened with some sort of Faraday cage style thing. Love it. So there's a mechanical beacon, Faraday cage. So one option is to separate them. And then if they're really smart as a party, they might even build a Faraday cage. Okay. Love it. Uh, and then all that's left for us is to like go through the monster. We would then create some supernatural powers, some attacks and armor, Um and the, the book walks you through that. It gives you examples, right, of how much damage they might do. Um, nice. But there you go. We have just created everything we need to start. Now, if I was going to run this campaign, what else might I have? One of the cool things about the Apocalypse games is they talk about creating leaving space. You want to allow your players to suggest things, and you just go with it. So if the players are like, we're going to run to uh, the local hardware store, whatever it is, general store, I don't have to have it on a map. I'm like, oh, and I just look at my list of names and I, I write down next to one of them, right? General store owner and just run with it. Yeah. Um, what I might want is to know some of the motivations of some of these players is probably what I would do. So I'd want to know what is the Mayor Grinsby's motivation? Um, what is the head of the power plants, Jesse Von Dresshauer's? Um, is one of them actually working for these creatures? Has he been taken over or they've been taken over? So I would generally do that. I'd create a little card for each of my main bystanders and I'd be like, okay, what are they in this for, right? Like, what do they need? What do they want? What are they afraid of? And that's all I would write on there. Yeah, the thing I really like about building building villains or you know, not even villains, but just those counterpoint protagonists the ones your your players run into is that everybody if you do it with the right intention everybody has a reason for being there and nobody thinks they're doing wrong so how do you incorporate them within this thing that you know to your to your players and to the rest of the town which seems like a catastrophic event how do you make them seem like they're right not just say well it's because that's what i wanted to do see yeah 100 percent What's their motivation? What do they, what do they, yeah, 100%. I actually don't tend to do a lot of evil characters, right, that are just evil to be evil. Like, they are doing it because they need something. 
They're yeah, trying to you know gain it, power, gain a scroll, gain a legend, yeah. you know, like And then if you know what that is, you can you can do what I call the angel, uh, right? The angel and Buffy thing, where you make us hate them and then you make us love them and then you can make us hate them. You could keep flipping them because when they're suddenly you can just have the party and them both need the same thing, the scroll. And they can be best friends. Exactly. I love that. I'm glad you brought that up for us. Yeah. Understanding the motivation. So I often talk about the difference between what someone wants and what they need. And people don't tell you what they need. So, you know, if I'm acting really grumpy, it's because I I I need my partner, Eli, to give me some attention or whatever. But um, but I often not want that, the thing I need, you know, right? I'll be all grumpy and I'll just, I want to be left alone. But what I need is to be shown attention. So they can be in conflict with each other. Definitely. Okay. Kathy, we have just built in, in a few minutes just showing you how the book walks you through it. It's not like Russ and I are brilliant. None of us, neither of us have done this. Nope. But the book structure just walks you through and you don't have to have the right answer. Now, the only last hurdle I can think of, and I was thinking this before this call, because um, I, I prepared for this one, I didn't prepare for the other ones, is, is how do you start running a new system? And in this case, what I would do is I would read the book. It's not that long. Right. Wouldn't worry a lot about the player sheets. Because again, the players are given those and they're responsible for those moves. You really just need to know the six or seven moves. And then I'd recommend that you go and listen to Taz Amnesty. Mm-hmm. after you've read the book and you just pause it every time something happens you're like what's going on yeah. what's that why word? yeah why what and then after a while you're going to find you don't have to pause it anymore you know the basic moves yeah and taz amnesty does a really good job of uh breaking it down without taking the flow out of the game uh, so yep. sometimes it goes by pretty quick but every time they make a move they explain the one to seven or, or one to six seven to one nine to yep. ten they explain that every single time they do it which is really a great way to learn the game. 100%. Unlike Dungeons and Dragons, who just stopped doing rules after a certain point and just said, well, fuck it. <laughs> or or the end of time and other bothers where we just weren't doing the rules for yeah. the longest time. Yeah. Well, you got players who don't even read their sheet. So, oh. um, so Russ, uh, do you feel comfortable running? Could you? Do you think you could run a Monster of the Week? Would you be comfortable running a Monster of the Week? Yeah. I mean, with a basic read of. Uh, the the basic moves that I would need to know in order to make the mechanics work, yeah. Which doesn't sound like they would take very long. Like even if I were nope. to pick this up and put this in Dungeons and Dragons or in another game that I've played that where I am more comfortable, I feel yep. like I could make it. I feel like I could make it work. At least get it up off the ground so that everybody can start playing in the world. That's the big thing I like is because your players are going to want to do different things once they get a hold of it. Hundred percent. Sometimes people say, "Well, once it's in the hand of a player, a DM's game is ruined." But it's a it's a game for all of us, and yes. once it gets into their hands, then it it morphs and becomes something different than you originally wrote down. A hundred percent. And I would go so far as to say that if if you're going to become a DM or a GM, it's not about being in control. No, your job is actually about just helping everyone at the table get into the story in the game. That's what we're here for. Once they're there, right, we're here to like help it our just, players. It flows. And so, Kathy, to end, I'd say if 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 Monster of the Week seems too daunting, put it in a system you want to play. You know, if you play D and D, do this in D and D. You could totally do this in D and D. Yep. Um, but I think you could do this. So I say go for it and send us any follow up questions. Uh, anyone out there that's thinking of doing this, and uh, let us know how it went. 
Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to DM to GM. If you have questions about getting your game started, send them to us, Russ and Sean. Our email is dm to gmcast at gmail.com. You can also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at dm to gmcast. You'll find all the links down in the description. In the meantime, get your game started. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. No, I think I think that sounded fun. Whether it whether it helps anybody, that's another thing. We may- <laughs> That's our outtake right there. Yeah. <laughs> the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Greetings, people of Earth. My name is Schmo Brannigan. I have hacked into this RSS feed with a promotional feature for the Wizard Scroll podcast, transcribing in three, two, one. Hold on, let me unfurl this wizard scroll real quick. Fire! Went out of Baba Boy. Nowhere, ten humongous scorpions had surrounded the campsite. Tails outstretched. Hello, welcome to McDonald's. Uh, can I get take your order? As he says, what are you gonna get? I don't know what I want. I'm gonna get the double, uh, triple, uh, lobster. Oh, I'll take one too. Two McLobsters. As if on cue, the camera panned upwards, directing everyone's attention towards the giant hot air balloon presently taking a pass over the stadium. Holy mother of sassafras, it's Gargo oh, the Destroyer! Leaping into the frame from 420 feet there without a parachute! The Wizard Scroll is available on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, and wherever else fine podcasts are found. This concludes today's promotional feature.